It's the 16th of August, 1956, and Dracula is dead. The Hungarian actor Bela Lugosi, who played Dracula famously in the 1931 film of the same name, passed away from a heart attack while lying on his bed in his small Los Angeles apartment. He was found by his young wife, Hope Leninger. She moved quickly to hide the liquor bottles and Demerol containers that Lugosi had stashed around their apartment before their ambulance arrived. Just 25 years earlier, Lugosi was the biggest star on the planet, but he was typecast in his role as Dracula. In his quest to remain a star, he repeatedly turned down supporting roles in Universal Pictures productions in order to star in Poverty Row films. These were films made incredibly fast and incredibly cheap that only played the inner city ghettos and mostly to the undesired, at the time, ethnic audiences. These films were bad, much worse than the film we're here tonight to talk about. He had a brief revival in the late 1940s during Universal's production of the so-called Monster Mash movies. These included House of Frankenstein, House of Dracula, and in 1948, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, which would be his last appearance in an A-picture for his entire life. One of the last films to feature him was, as a marketable star is the absolutely terrible Bela Lugosi meets a Brooklyn Gorilla. This starred Sammy Petrillo and Duke Mitchell. Mitchell would later go on to direct Massacre Mafia style and death by video favorite Gone with the Pope. In addition to his career decline, his drug addiction had gone from bad to extremely worse. Initially, he started taking pain medication to treat his static neuritis. I don't know if I got that right. This led to morphine use and cheap over-the-counter German methadone that he smuggled back to the United States after a theater tour of mainland Europe. Seeking to finally rid himself of his addiction, he checked into a rehab hospital. Although not widely reported at the time, it was Frank Sinatra who covered Lugosi's expenses. It was in rehab when Hope Leninger began writing fan letters to Lugosi. She was 37 years younger than him. They met shortly after he left rehab and were married. Unfortunately, his addictions were not over and he used deadly mixes of Demerol and alcohol to ease his cravings. He was buried in his Dracula costume in Holy Cross Cemetery in Culver City, Los Angeles on Saturday the 18th of August, 1956. Attendees at his funeral included his current wife, Hope Leninger, his previous wife, Lillian Lugosi, his son, Bella Lugosi Jr., famous Monsters of Filmland editor, Forrest J. Ackerman, and many Hungarian members of the film industry. Among his pallbearers was a World War II veteran who had parachuted into battle in the Pacific. He survived having his right leg riddled with machine gun bullets, only to then lose several of his front teeth during hand-to-hand combat with a member of the Japanese army. He earned the Silver Star Medal, the Bronze Star Medal, and the Purple Heart. Bela Lugosi Jr. described this man as a leech, a parasite, and a bloodsucker who had exploited Bela Lugosi Sr. at the end of his life. This veteran and pallbearer was Edward D. Wood Jr., and he produced, wrote, and directed the film we're watching tonight, Plan 9 from Outer Space. Woo! Here's a movie that you never seen. The map of some ninjas or a crazy death machine. There will be smiles. There will be tears. You won't watch a movie for about eight billion years. It's time for death. By video. Time for death. By video. And now the show will begin. 
All right, we are back. It's Death by Video, episode 50. Hey, hey. Woo. Hello. And? I'm Phil. I'm Kit. And I'm Graham, saying welcome back to Death by Video. This is our 50th episode. I'm attempting to open up our champagne bottle right now and failing miserably. Um, so, guys, uh, we took a long break because we were hoping to have all four of us back together in time for our 50th. Lillian was out of the country. Unfortunately, Lillian fell ill earlier today and couldn't make it. So we're just making this an original trilogy podcast. Feel feel better, Lillian. Yes, feel better, please. Um, and it's going to be the three of us talking about what probably kicked off the entire concept of... I'm going to call it, like, outsider movies or outsider art. But I feel like... does Okay, does B-movie come from... Oh no! Plan no, we, nine, we, explained, we explained we explained B movie before, where it was like the secondary film produced. Right, yeah. right, 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 right. Mm-hmm. I was here for that. Yep, many times I've explained, I've uh, gone through the whole concept of the B movie. But this is the one that really kind of like emphasized people going out to see movies that were not, I'll say, traditionally good in order to see something else. So I'm uh, very carefully going to open up because the ceilings in my apartment are quite low. Our bottle of champagne to celebrate fifty episode fifty. Well, wow. t- I, if if you actually like look at our, our um, we've actually done more than fifty. I've just been just numerically. This is what I'm calling the fiftieth because we've had like point five. Oh, okay, yeah, but we've our... had special editions, but this is our f- official fiftieth. So here we go. All right, cheers, guys, to fifty episodes of Death by Video. To fifty. To fifty. Mm-hmm. To fifty more. Yes, to fifty more. Maybe. Hopefully, we'll see how long I, I, on I'm our a... Patreon account. Yeah, we don't have it. We don't have a Patreon. We are fifty episodes Patreon free and ad free as well. Yeah, we're not reading ads. Screw you, all you podcasts that represent fresh books and mattresses that no one likes. Who's ever gotten a good mattress in the mail? I I have not. No, not once. I hope we're, I hope we have a full blown Jesse Brown beef to kick off our fiftieth episode. No, no, no. He's doing good work despite him being you know a dick. Um, okay, so we're here tonight to talk about the mother of, I guess, I don't even know. How, I don't want to describe it like so bad. They're good movies, but movies that are just entertaining in a different sort of way. It's Plan Nine from Outer Space. It's been a film that's been immortalized in it's, it's Seinfeld. It's kind of the original. Yeah. Uh, it's so the original. bad it's so good. Yeah, movie, yeah, exactly. Um, like so, they started putting it on in theaters for that very reason. Exactly. That it's so ridiculously. Well, uh, let me get right into to my uh, my history of the film. Um, I've done so much research for this movie. I like I watched a whole documentary called Flying Saucers Over Hollywood, which is about solely about Plan Nine from Outer Space. I watched the 2015 remake called Plan Nine. It's not good. I don't remember that. Because it didn't go into theaters. Because it, it was it came out, and it just became like an excuse. Like I just think it was a marketing gimmick for a generic zombie film that someone made. Like they just made it like a uh. flesh eating zombie film, and it's like how are we gonna like market this? Let's call the Plan Nine remake. Does it have anybody in it? They have uh, one of the original cast members from Plan Nine from Outer Space, but he just sure. stays in one room and sits on a couch the whole time. Um, they have a few homages to some of the dialogue, but the, on the whole, the movie's got nothing to do with it. It doesn't have any of the fun feeling that Plan 9 from Outer Space has. That's a lightning in the bottle moment. I know. Man. Yeah, you can't recreate it. And if you're going to do it, you got to do it big. Like, I kind of want to... I was thinking my version of Plan 9 from Outer Space 3 remake would be a modern-type um, sci-fi movie, but the aliens would be like they were in Plan 9 from Outer Space, like very, like, prissy and... You're stupid minds! Stupid, stupid minds! I feel like Tim Burton got as close as you're going to get with Ed Wood mm. to a sort of remake. Yeah, well, I mean, he was doing, like, almost pulling, like, a, uh, I don't want to say disaster artist where he was doing shot-for-shot remakes, but uh, shots, but he kind of was. Yeah. Um, 
You know, Disaster mm-hmm. Artist tried with the room recreations, but it's, it misses it's, it's, the mark. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to do. I think plan, like so many people, what people picture Plan 9 to be, or even picture Ed Wood to be, is from the movie Ed Wood. And we'll talk about that when I get into Ed Wood the Man. So I'm going to run down some cast notes on Plan 9. The film stars the aforementioned Bella Lugosi as the ghoul man. Um, most of the scenes were actually portrayed by Dr. Tom Mason, who was Ed Wood's chiropractor and drinking buddy. Um, he was the stand-in for Lugosi after Lugosi died. It was actually Bella Lugosi himself who said that he thought Mason resembled him. And uh, Tom Mason would later go on to fund and appear in Ed Wood's follow-up film to this, Night of the Ghouls. Um, Plan 9 and Night of the Ghouls are the only two films that Dr. Mason was involved in. The film also stars professional wrestler Tor Johnson as Inspector Clay. Early on in the film, he was given the majority of expositional dialogue um, because... With Bella Lugosi being dead, Vampire refused to deliver any dialogue in the hopes that no one would know she was actually in the film. So Johnson took the the bulk of the dialogue. He was born in 1903 in Sweden, and contrary to the, the depiction of him in the film Ed Wood, he was not monosyllabic, and he also began appearing in films as early as 1934. Some of his best-known films outside of his work with Ed Wood were in the Bob Hope and Bing Crosby movie uh, Road to Rio, and he also appeared in Abbott and Costello in The Foreign Legion. His final film appearance was in the infamous film Head, which starred the Monkees um, and was directed by Bob Rafelson and was actually written by Rafelson and Jack Nicholson. I didn't know Jack Nicholson had a screenwriting credit. Yeah, oh, he, yeah he, started, he started oh, as right. a screenwriter before he even became an actor. Like, he was a screenwriter. Um, he, the shooting's a real good one. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, he became immortalized um, when his face became the basis for a best-selling Halloween mask, which was released by the Don Post Mask Company in 1977. The main character in the film is Jeff Trent, played by Gregory Walcott. Out of everyone in Plan 9, Walcott probably has the most uh, illustrious career outside of Bela Lugosi, of course. He was in 60 feature films and 300 television episodes after Plan 9. He went on to appear in several Clint Eastwood films, including Joe Kidd, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, The Iger Sanction, which also starred George Kennedy, and Every Which Way But Loose. He also appeared in the film Norma Ray, which was nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars, and Sally Field won Best Actress for her performance as the title character. And he also appeared in Steven Spielberg's first feature film, The Sugarland Express. His last appearance in film was actually in Ed Wood, by, directed by Tim Burton, um, playing a potential backer for Plan 9, although it's interesting to note that most of his dialogue was actually cut because of his terrible performance. Ha! How about that? Yeah. Um, the film also features, I'm going to mispronounce her name, Mela Nermi, better known as Vampyra. She plays the character Vampire Girl. She's said to be dressed the deceased wife of Bela Lugosi's ghoul man character. She was credited as Vampyra because Malia Nermi didn't want anyone to know that she was doing a low-budget sci-fi horror film. She was trying to launch a mainstream movie career and leave the Vampyra character behind. She was born in 1922 in Finland. She moved to the United States as a baby and moved around quite a bit before settling in Los Angeles. Legendary Hollywood director Howard Hawks discovered her. Hawks. I don't know why I went Hawk, like Van Gogh. Um, <laughs> Howard Hawks discovered her while she was performing in Mike Todd's Grand Guignol Midnight Show. Hawks attempted to make her a star in the film adaptation of the novel Dreadful Hollow. However, the film was delayed repeatedly, and she actually walked out of her studio contract in frustration. Her first credit was in the 1947 for the film If Winter Comes. Her film career mostly consisted of appearing as Vampyra or different vampire characters on the vein of Vampyra. She developed the character of Vampyra for The Vampyra Show, 
in which she hosted uh, screenings of old horror and science fiction films on television. The show aired 50 episodes between 1954 and 1955. The template for the Elvira show, basically. Ooh, I'm getting to that. Okay. Well, I mean, that was... Elvira was kind of based on... I know there was a lawsuit on, and stuff. There, well, I'm getting to that. And actually, the thing is, everyone kind of thinks, like, horror hosts go vampira than Elvira, but there were a whole host in the 70s of other female, like, sultry female vampire, like, horror okay, movie so hosts. more of a tradition. Though. A tradition yeah. than, than a trope, but she um, she famously lost a lawsuit against Elvira in the 1980s uh, when she claimed that Elvira had stolen her character, like you brought up, Kit. Um, but the ironic thing is, Nermi actually based the appearance and persona of Vampira on Morticia Adams from Charles's Adams' Adams Family comic strip, which appeared in The New Yorker. So this was the comic strip that the TV show The Adams Family was based, based on. Based on, yeah. Yeah, so... Shouldn't throw rocks if you live in a glass house. Yes. Um, there are too many characters in the film to go through, but I'll keep it short by talking about the amazing Criswell. He was born Jiren Criswell Koenig... Um, it's the Bill Murray character in Ed Wood? No, it's the uh, Jeffrey Jones character in Ed oh, Wood. Okay. Uh, no, uh, Bill Murray played Bunny Breckenridge. Yeah, Bunny Breckenridge, who okay. was the uh, the man who was attempting to become uh, a woman. Yes. And uh, it didn't happen, unfortunately. Um, he portrays the character of the narrator in the film. That's Criswell, not uh, Bill Murray. Uh, that opens and closes the film. He was a popular guest of variety and discussion television shows, including... The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson, uh, the Merv Griffin Show, and although the joke of his act was that his was that his predictions were so incredibly wild and inaccurate, he actually corrected two things, uh, not just two, but like these are the biggest ones that are known of. He predict, uh, correctly predicted that Ronald Reagan entered pol- would enter politics and win the governorship of California, and he also distressingly predicted the assassination of John F. Kennedy Jr. or sorry, Senior. Oh, okay. um, yeah, so basically he said John F. Kennedy Sr. would not be seeking re-election after 1963, or in 1963, because of an unforeseen tragedy that would happen in Texas in November. Uh, I feel like he had some inside information here. I think it was him and Lee Harvey Oswald teaming up. Second shooter. Yeah, there yeah. you go. So before I get into the, um, the the more notes I have on the actual film, do we want to talk about some of the films that we've watched since we last recorded? It has been about two months since we've had a proper episode. We did our best of 2018 episode just before Christmas, uh, but we didn't record a proper episode until uh, since Silent Night, Deadly Night back in November. So, Phil, have you seen anything interesting since we last recorded? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um had I seen it at the time we recorded it, I would say that my two best films of 2018 would be Leave No Trace and First Reformed. Nice. Another great one that would have made my top five uh, the favorite. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard a lot of, a lot of good things about that. It's an, it's mm. probably my second favorite of Lanthimos's next to The Lobster. Hmm. Very cool. And um, did he also do the killing of a sacred deer? He did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pardon me. I'm sorry. I, we didn't pick that up, but I know what happened. <laughs> and um, one I liked more than I thought I would: uh, Nocturnal Animals, the Tom Ford's volume. I heard lots of good things about that. Yeah. I, I heard very mixed things about it. I didn't know what to mm-hmm. expect, and. Um, I didn't like a single man, but nocturnal. Animals. I don't know anyone that liked a single man. Okay, what were you gonna say? I I just was trying to remember the other Tom Ford film, and then you you guys hit it. And yeah. I've seen a single man. I don't remember much about it. Me neither. Okay, Colin Firth is in it. That's yes, all I know. The Firther. 
Yeah, for sure. Another notable of mm-hmm. 2018 is Support the Girls. I really want to see that. I'm such a huge Andrew Buljowski fan. I've actually seen all Me of too. his films. And I got the chance to work with Kobe Smolders last summer. And whereas everyone else was asking about the Marvel stuff, I was like, so tell me about Results, which was the, the film that I he made. I haven't seen that one. It's, it's decent. It's decent. It's the one where that Andrew Buljowski made about um, uh, Kobe Smolders is in it. And so is uh, Guy Pierce, And they play uh, personal trainers. So it's about, you know, physical results. That's good. I also, a notable one, I don't know if it's a particularly great one, but it transcends the realm of good and bad, but in true Death by Video fashion... Are you talking about tough guys don't dance? I sure am. Oh, God. It's, uh, it definitely fits the mold of a movie that had a target, missed it, and hit a completely different target. Mm-hmm. It's best known for the scene the oh god oh man meme scene but like the room it's kind of that's kind of what tough guys don't dance is what you're turning me apart leases to the room and but, it's one of the least crazy moments in that movie yeah it's it, uh, and it's got our patron saint wings hauser in it yeah oh man a I, uh, very notable wings hauser performance i, I kind of slaughtered new year's eve when i when i played um Vice Squad. That was kind of a downer, but I enjoyed yeah, Vice Squad. I didn't, I didn't. I forgot about all the horrible <laughs> abuse that goes on in that film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wingshauser plays a pimp called Ramrod, and he uh, he actually did a lot of research for um, for his character Ramrod by researching white pimps, and because most pimps are unfortunately African American. They're not unfortunately. I mean, but I I don't know how to say that and make it seem like that's that's just the way it is. And when he researched white pimps. He actually found that um, a lot of African American uh, men become pimps because they have to. There's, like there's it's, no a, it's, a, it's a circumstance. Yeah, yeah, it's an economic circumstance. Whereas w- when white guys get into pimping, it's kind of because they're just crazy, insane people. Except except in the Deuce, where the only white oh, it's pimp the hippie is, that, guy. is the nice guy. Yeah, he's yeah. The, I think he's, they, too, he's too nice. This is. I think that was a fictionalized. Yeah, I don't no, think that I'm was sure true. Was. <laughs> oh man, baby, you didn't charge him. Oh no. That's <laughs> yeah, basically the character. Yeah. Anything else, Phil? Uh, well, you want to keep it. Yeah, I guess it. it's okay. Um. Strangers Prey Night was a good sequel. Yeah, I, I love didn't that love film. it, uh, but mm-hmm. I did enjoy it. Um, it's fun. Watched uh, the Netflix Fire documentary. I've not really, watched, really uh, want to see that. That, that was a fun watch. That was director Chris Smith who did American Movie, right? Yes, and mm-hmm. also I think it's Collapse by the. Uh, oh yeah, the 2009 film Collapse about yeah. the um, uh, what happens when the oil industry goes under, like how quickly the. Uh, world's economy is going to collapse. Now, now I I feel like I was done with that whole fire festival story. Just re- I'm never re- done with it. Yeah, I was like, okay, it's a very interesting story, but I read enough about it. Is is mm-hmm. the film really like worth watching? I should I should see. It's a fun watch. Okay, you're not going to learn anything new, but I think it, what it conveys well is how people fell for this. It conveys well how so many people fell for this. Con Scam, artist. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing with the, what's his name, Ben something. You calling Ja Rule a con artist? The, the, other, guy, the <laughs> other guy is uh, Billy McFarland. Yeah, Billy McFarland. Like I, I've heard him described as like the first twenty first century, like major scam artist. Like we've we've seen people like scam artists throughout history, and it's it's one of those things where like when that initially happened, it was uh, the fire festivals like collapse was designed as like only millennials could cause this but it's like no like it's you know he's like he's Bernie Madoff he's all those guys he just found a different way to, to scam 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like, I would never buy into it. Like, it's like, no, okay, of course, Gamers from a mile away, but you could see how people would buy into it. Music festivals on their best day are still awful. Like you're still out in the sun all day, you're still dehydrated, you're still pooping in a porta potty and sleeping in a tent. It's not fun. I don't know. Anyone that's that, that says going to a music festival is fun is a liar. <laughs> what's what's the, the the ironic thing is if they had gone with their initial plan of uh having a music festival just for industry professionals, mm-hmm. it would have probably been a successful entrepreneurial totally, venture. Totally, yeah, yeah, And it's not in Prince by principle. The Fire app is not on its own a particularly bad thing on principle. But Yeah, um, Uber for music booking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything else, Will, or is that uh, is all of your notables? Uh, the rest of them were rewatches. Mm-hmm. I also I got around, finally got around to watching Thelma and Louise for the first time last month. For the first time? Mm. Yeah, in its entirety. Yeah, the old um, Ridley Scott joint. Yeah. Yep. Thoughts? I they drove into a, a canyon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a pretty good movie. From I what still, I remember, I haven't. It's been like two decades. Since I I've mostly seen it. Again, just, yeah. I yeah. mostly just remember it from the Simpsons episode. Yes. <laughs> Don't drive into that chasm. Chasm. Creek. And the cop car goes in. Oh, we were saved by garbage. Delicious, delicious garbage. There was a book that came out uh, a year or two ago. Uh, at the zeitgeist to Thelma and Louise called Off the Cliff. Oh. I didn't mean to read it. Cool. It's good. Cool. All right. So, uh, Kit, what have you seen that's notable since we last recorded? Well, I've only seen two films. Okay. Because I'm, I'm lazy about watching movies. All right. Oh, wait, they always seem too long. <laughs> I'm like, ah, f- Yeah, you'll watch three episodes of Game well, of Thrones back to back to back. No, I, I've never done that before. But it's just like, yeah, okay. that 45 minute episode of Star Trek that's going to go down easy. I think I'm going to watch that and go to sleep. Okay. But I did uh, watch with you, Vice, yeah, we Vice. went to theaters for that one. I really enjoyed that one, really liked Vice. Liked it, yeah. Uh, if anybody's ever seen The Big Short, it's Adam McKay doing his... It's kind of the same kind sort of, of stuff. Kind of docudrama, kind of... Sort of docudrama, mm-hmm. it's where he plays around with formatting as well. Yeah. Um, we'll talk directly to the camera, break the fourth wall mm-hmm. type stuff. Christian Bale is amazing in it. Christian Bale is amazing. Uh, that moment of ambiguity at the end, I don't want to give anything away, kind of still leaves me puzzled, but... Um, See, I, I didn't read it as ambiguous. I just re- uh, read that as being <laughs> like a person just still seething with hatred that p- someone would question his motives. Right, but when he mm-hmm. states what his motives are, you're like, yeah, but I don't think those were his motives. No. Just trying to do what I thought was right. No, you weren't. <laughs> but 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 in his mind, what he's doing, he thinks is right because he's like, Maybe. it's right for him, right for what he wants, but bad for everyone else. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's like it's like the guy that robs the bank. He's think he thinks he's doing the right thing for him. Just not good for well, it's else. just like the elites think that they're much, so much better than the exactly. unwashed masses you, that uh, the unwashed masses Ford. have no idea how, exactly. to, how to run a country. We're doing so, it correctly by yeah, bombing Lying to them and, and doing all these shenanigans is what's mm-hmm. best for them. And also they're not worthy of, of cash and, and our lifestyle anyhow. Exactly. Um, so that's that. And then I also watched First Reformed. Oh. Yes. Which I, I liked. I still get to watch it. But you didn't love well, here's the thing. Like I, we were just mentioning on the uh, letterboxd, I'm like, I, because the, the ending is is quite something. Um, I don't want to give anything away, but um, <laughs> it, it it really, um, I, I gave it three and a half, but I'm like, this could go four. This could go four stars. I'm gonna put it three and a half, and maybe I'll return to this review, because uh, maybe it's better than I think it is. Because it it did seem like it had a lot of elements that were were quite quite good. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though it's a slow moving film, it's it's constantly uh, engaging and gripping a lot of narration which is just something filmmakers have to rely on i guess when their story is a bit too big to tell with words i suppose okay i don't know what do you think phil you liked it better 
Yes, I did. Yeah. Interesting. I should, I should give it a watch. I've kind of been burned by Paul Schrader. I mean, I, I'm, I think I'm one of the few people that actually saw <laughs> The Canyons. Um, I saw it too. It is not good. <laughs> no. This one is good, though. And it's it's filmed, it's like four by six. It's a weird format, too, uh, which threw me off. Oh, is it is it square? Yeah, it's square. Okay. So was mid-90s. <laughs> Well, yeah, another low so light was, I've seen. So was Cold War, but I think I think I think that's more. So was of, Ida. Yeah, but I think Cold War and, e- and Ida are that way because that's you know the classic Academy yeah, ratio. Sure. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think mid nineties was that way because that's VHS. I guess that's I TV. Yes. Or that's, that's just like Jonah Hill being, Hill's being a pretentious douche. It, it's Jonah Hill being pretentious yeah. douche. Mm-hmm. So no, no idea. I guess maybe this is a pretentious thing putting it in a box. But Kubrick? maybe it's also supposed to be mm-hmm. like, I ah, is boxed in, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, and all this stuff. Well, I don't know. Well, Kubrick famously towards the end of his career favored shooting in a square format. Like uh, Eyes Wide Shut was actually composed and shot uh, in 4 by 3 it's, and then it was cropped down you to... You do different things with the frame, right? Yeah, exactly. Like it never worked uh, for films. What I hated about full screen was that you're losing stuff. Oh, yeah. You're, you're, you're losing if, things if you're composing the film. for but that. But if that's the way it's composed, then, then great. Yeah, I yeah. can see advantages. Of exactly. course, it doesn't take up your full TV. No, of course. I mean, and that's, that's the thing. I'm actually enjoying the fact that we're now living in a world where we have different forms. Although, okay, so I watched, uh, over the holidays, I watched a film. This will bleed into mine now. Uh, All the Creatures Were Stirring, which is a, uh, uh, a very low-budget independent film directed by Dr. Uh, Rebecca McKendry and, uh, is it Dave McKendry? Anyways, um, two people that are, are married and, and very good short filmmakers, and they, they shot a series of shorts and always intending it to be an anthology. So it's all about Christmas. And the entire thing is shot in widescreen cinemascope. And in the last episode, or in the last like segment, the aspect ratio actually morphs as part of a storyline. And I'd never seen that done before, and it worked quite well because it was supposed to show like a different species interpretation of humanity. And it was like, oh, that's that's different. I didn't expect that. Um, Michael Bay in the last, not the, yeah, in Transformers Five, like shot it in a bunch of different formats. I, I love and it when didn't Michael didn't give Bay. a crap. <laughs> it was so bad watching because it'd be like wide, short, wide, but sixteen by nine, widescreen, super wide, blah, 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 square, like just. So he, he like, just doesn't give a shit anymore. Depending on the shot, it just would switch, and it was nuts. Like they actually had to post warnings outside the theater. When people are going in, like, just so you know, a multitude of formats were used for filming this, so therefore, the aspect ratio will be changing frequently throughout the movie. Do you think Michael Bay is uh, one of these directors that, ah, we'll fix it in post, no worries? No. Xavier, there was this shitty Xavier Delon film, which starts out in uh, square ratio, and then... 4 by 3 and then goes to 16.9? Yeah. Or goes to scope? Goes to scope. Oh, yeah. A, a serious man does that as well. It's got the intro vignette, which is... Uh, Five-ish Finkel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's that's, that's that's different though. That's a like in the past they would people would use square uh, a square ratio inside of a scope ratio or a widescreen ratio to indicate that people were watching something on TV or that it was a news report, which I actually utilized in uh, my short film Christmas Steve starring yes, Kit Lewis. Yes, you did. Yeah, the news reports were four by three. The rest of the film was actually scope. So yeah, so um, so Kit, that's it. Uh, first Reformed and Vice. Yeah, both good movies. Cool. Uh, recommend. I'd say I would say the four by three works for uh, first reform because there are a lot of like scenes with like just like two people and it's yeah they're mostly interior close spaces yeah I agree cool um so in preparation for this film I watched Flying Saucers Over Hollywood <clears throat> a documentary about the making of Plan Nine and then I also watched Plan Nine the 2015 remake of Plan Nine from Outer Space um <clears throat> I didn't really like the Plan Nine remake. 
It was more of a, just a generic flesh-eating zombie film. It was actually shot in 2008 and didn't get released until 2015. It had a decent budget. It was shot on film. Uh, but yeah, it just sort of seemed like they you know, had a script for a zombie film and then slapped on the Plan 9 title and added some winks and nods to the original just as a marketing uh, ploy. Uh, films of note that I watched was I watched uh, the film Glass, the M. Night Shyamalan follow-up to Unbreakable and Split. I'm very curious. Where does it... Because uh, Shyamalan's had such a he, shit career for every now quite and then, a long time. But every now and then, yes. Every now and then, there's flashes of genius. So Split, pretty good. Unbreakable, really good. Glass, good up until... The f- not the the it, like okay. Say, there's a twist, there's a which twist. unfortunately Shyamalan still feels like. He has to I know it was like the whole time I'm like you could have just you, there could have been a, there was there was a twist coming that made sense, but then there was a whole nother twist about a secret society that's been around for ten thousand years, that's out of nowhere. That doesn't need to happen. Yeah, but it was it was it was interesting because it gave me the feeling of excitement seeing. The character of David Dunn from Unbreakable facing off against the character of the Horde played by James McAvoy from Split. It gave me that feeling of like when you saw on the wire Brother Muzan and um, Oh Omar and team Omar up. team up. To, it was to that, shoot down Stringer it's that Bell. Moment yeah. of like, oh my god, like these characters exist in the same universe and they interact. So like when Bruce Willis faces off against James McAvoy at the start of the film, because like a lot of the film they're locked up in an asylum where they're trying to figure out like what makes these people think that they're superheroes. Uh, it's is Bruce Willis in that asylum too? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's him. So his character hasn't done much in the. No, no, no. no. He's he's no, no. He since. has. He's okay. actually been an active like superhero. Superhero vigilante. Him and his son like run a run a home security store together. And at night, Bruce Willis goes on a walk. Goes like puts on his poncho that was he used during the first yeah, time. Yeah. Goes on a walk and stops crime while his son like communicates with him over a cell phone with a with an earpiece so that he can you know be like oh like there's you know police thing something happened something's happening over here actually kind of like does a really good job of making a real world superhero feeling authentic and then james mcavoy is out there kidnapping women like he was in the first split and so the the opening of the film the film is kind of split up into three different parts the opening of the film is about bruce willis tracking down james mcavoy's character to save four cheerleaders before he get he kills and eats them and yeah, yeah, James, one of the James McAvoy's so it's 20, a cannibal, yeah. 24 thing is a cannibal known as the Beast. And the Beast is like the most powerful thing. And that's where it kind of ties in the whole Unbreakable world where Bruce Willis is like stronger than anyone can be and survives more than anyone can. James McAvoy's character, the Beast, is stronger, can climb walls where there's no like discernible. He's like a combination of all I've animals. I've seen some of that in the trailer, yeah. yeah. It's good. Um, and then they like, you know, there's a sting and they both get caught. And then Sarah Paulson comes in and tries to, like, psychoanalyze Samuel L. Jackson, who's been in an asylum since Unbreakable, Bruce Willis, and James McAvoy. And that even that portion, portion is good. And that's a good half hour, 45 minutes of them just in, like, trying to, like, pro, like, providing doubt for the audience. Like, are these people really who they think they are, or are they just, you know, suffering from mental illness? But, you know, with a Shyamalan movie, it can't be that. And Shyamalan Ding Dong <laughs> comes to the rescue and goes, twist, 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 twist. And then the movie ends, and you're like, what? And that's it. Um, <laughs> they should have shoehorned like Mel Gibson's character from Signs in there somehow. <laughs> no, no, no. We can't bring back Mel Gibson. Um, He's already back. Yeah. Uh, another film that came out a few years ago. I mean, I, I watched two Larry uh, Cohen films. I watched Black Caesar and Hell Up in Harlem because they're the same I character. I watch both of those. Yeah. Black Caesar's great. Hell Up in Harlem is not so good. The last half hour of Hell Up in Harlem is good, but the first hour is just kind of like f- filling time to get to that point. 
Um, both both are good. Both are like great early Fred Williamson performances. Larry Cohen's just a great like gritty in the streets guerrilla filmmaker. Um, but the film I want to talk about was actually that came out a couple of years ago, and it's getting a sequel this year, which I'd never seen before, called Spider Man Homecoming. Now it's it's really weird to me that I live in a time where like I can just skip a Spider Man movie and not be like ugh, but like I finally watched it. I was super impressed. Like I actually think it's out of the Marvel movies probably the best. Uh, yeah, I've got that on. I got that on my. Doc, your your doc of stuff to watch. Yeah, stuff to watch. Um, I I recommend watching it. It's really. I still haven't seen uh, what is it? Uh, Infinity Wars. Shut up. Just 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 watch movies when you want to watch them. Oh, you mean uh, Avengers: Infinity War? Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I didn't mean. To I see feel it. like I have to see it, but it's also good. it's good. Just, but but watch the Spider-Man one. It's fun. It's 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 quickly. It's really well written because in most superhero films, they're like there's lulls where they do character development, where they just have people sitting around talking about nothing related to the plot, and the movie just stops dead. This film, every scene builds to another scene, builds to another scene, constantly la- constantly layering in character moments. Michael Keaton is great in the film. I guess they've avoided the trap mm-hmm. of origin storytelling. Yes, which by is so having smart. that already in one of the previous Marvel movies, sort of. Or? Well, well, Spider-Man shows up in Captain America Civil War but even then there's no like there's no they never mention Uncle Ben once they never mention when great power comes great responsibility but it, you can totally see that this kid was already out there doing stuff and he's by the way he is a kid in this movie That the, it's no 30 year old playing a teenager this time it's not you know like 39 year old Tobey Maguire being like I'm a 21 year old college student man um, or, or you know Andrew Garfield, Garfield who's yeah. older than me playing Mr. teenage Spider-Man Mr. Longneck yeah uh, yeah it's really fun so anyways Let's move on to Plan 9 from Outer Space. Let's, let's. Okay, uh, I'm going to run down some, a little talk about the film before we go. Wait, have we, uh, so, Phil, have you seen Plan 9 before? No, I haven't. Oh, wow. Oh, you haven't? And Kate, you haven't seen it? I have seen it, yeah. Oh, you have? I didn't know you. Like a decade ago, yeah. And I you were probably it. high? Probably watched mm-hmm. it uh, during my tenure at Blockbuster. Oh, okay. It was well, a rental, I, and I was like, wow, we got to check this out. Yeah, of course. So for this uh, screening, I actually acquired the, the Blu-ray restoration of Plan 9 from Outer Space, which comes, it's it promotes itself as being a colorized version. However, as a bonus feature, they include the restored black and white version. Yeah, you got to be in black we'll and white. We watching the black and white be, version, yeah. yeah. Okay, so Plan 9 from Outer Space. The Ted Turner edition. <laughs> the Ted Turner approved. Um, so Plan 9 from Outer Space, I'm just going to run through my notes on the film quickly before we watch it. The premiere of the film was drastically different from how it was depicted in the film Ed Wood. It was paired as a double feature in 1959, despite being completed for release in 1956. Uh, the other feature on the double bill was a film called Time Lock, which was the story of a boy locked in a bank vault, and it actually starred a pre-James Bond, Sean Connery. Hmm. Plan 9 was only briefly in theaters and found its audience when it was sold cheaply to television stations across the United States. Ironically, this expanded Vampire's fame after she worked so hard not to be associated with the film. Plan 9 gained more attention when it was ranked number 39 in an article about the 50 worst science fiction films of all time in the magazine Famous Monsters of Film. Only 39. But wait, here's the the real thing. The article was written by a 13-year-old boy named... Ah. Named Joe Dante, the director of Gremlins, The Burbs, The Howling, Explorers, and Matinee, and many other films. Years later, Dante would say that a film as entertaining as Plan 9 had no place on a worst of all films of all time list and just chalked it up to being, you know, in puberty. Um, But I mean, didn't he mean like films so bad they're good? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Well, I mean, but the thing is back then, you got to remember now there's like we live in a culture where we celebrate these films. Back then, this, you know, it was meant to be a series. Like, this film sucks, and the people behind it suck, and it's not good, so we should all laugh at it. Well, I mean, there are things to laugh at, like, I 
Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll yeah we're, we're not going to get into we'll see yeah. them for ourselves but obviously like direction or just understanding how people behave naturally is not present in but, that but I, think, I think there's more of an appreciation now because before it was like screw those people they suck they don't know what they're doing whereas now it's kind of like oh man this movie's so fun yeah yeah, I think, that's, is, yeah. I think we've, we've kind of moved beyond that this movie is bad, therefore we must give it our scorn. But it couldn't be made intentionally the way no, it's been exactly. Because whenever I see those movies that are intentionally made bad... They don't work the out, only time, like Sharknado or whatever. Uh, the only time it has worked when something was intentionally made bad was in Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, which was a six-episode BBC TV series. Have you guys uh, yes. seen it? Have you seen it? Yeah. No, I have not, no. Oh, we should try and track it down. It's really, really good. It's about... I think I watched it on YouTube. I think it might still be on YouTube. It's about a uh, Stephen King-esque author who, in the 80s, was given the chance to write, produce, direct, and star in a TV show where he plays Dr. Rick Daglas, Vietnam War vet, and doctor. And the show... It's a show within a show, and it's so laced with smarminess that it, it transcends. It's really, really well done, but it's incredibly hard to do. I've tried to make stuff that like is so bad it's good, but it doesn't it doesn't work. And I've, I've seen examples of it, and it never works. Um, so the film that Ed would begin shooting with Bela Lugosi before Lugosi died was to be called The Tomb of the Vampire. So that explains why Lugosi is dressed in his Dracula costume throughout the film and why there are several graveyard scenes with Lugosi. Although it's been reported for decades that the flying saucers in the film were pie plates or paper plates or even car hubcaps, they were in fact spray-painted UFO models that were purchased from a hobby shop on Hollywood Boulevard. Boulevard. I don't know why I'm so mumbly-mouthed tonight. Um, in the 1980 book, The Golden Turkey Awards, uh, it ranked Plan 9 from Outer Space, the worst film of all time, and Ed Wood, the worst director of all time. And Ed Wood died two years before this book came out, so this is a real you know, kick in the grave. Well, I mean, he didn't live to see it. Yeah. It wasn't like the last thing he saw before he keeled over. So that's, that's nice. So the book was written by Michael Medved and Harry Medved. Its success took the Medveds on a promotional tour that included the CBS evening news and the today show. During these appearances, they actually showed clips from plan nine that actually increased its fame. Interestingly, it wasn't the Medvids that selected Plan 9 as the worst film. They had previously written a book called The 50 Worst Films of All Time, and Plan 9 was not on it. After that book was published, the Medvids received 400 pieces of mail complaining that there could not be a list of the worst films of all time without Plan 9 from Outer Space being the number one. Uh, The Medvids were surprised because to them, any film that had such a fan base could not possibly be the worst movie of all time, nor anyone who made films as entertaining as Ed Wood could not be the worst director of all time. In 2014, the now-defunct website The Dissolve devoted an entire week to Plan 9 in an article Plan 9, sorry, there was a pause there. In an article written by... about The Dissolve. I know, it's a great website. It's still still online. The entire website's still up there if you want to go back through it. Um, In an article written by Matt Patches, he described the fandom for Plan 9 as existing because there's never been a film with so much passion glowing behind its dilapidated exterior. There's no damage control protecting it, no reshoots to try and salvage its botched production, it is just totally raw and emits an authenticity that films with $100 million budgets cannot achieve. Um, Plan 9 from Outer Space has been referred... Uh, oh, referenced in many elements of pop culture. An entire episode of Seinfeld... Seinfeld is the one was, I was thinking. That's the first time I heard of the film. Was yeah, it was, it was... The whole episode was based around Jerry trying to get people to come out and see a screening of it with him. The British punk band The Damned wrote a song about it called Plan 9 Channel 7, which is a great song, and it's, it's really on their fantastic album Machine Gun Etiquette. 
Plan 9 has been remade twice. Neither of the remakes really made any dents in the larger culture. The first was called Plan Live from Outer Space, and it came out in 2006. And it was actually a live filmed play version of the film done here in Toronto. I can't find... I, like, searched hard to find any footage and couldn't find any footage of it. I couldn't find any reviews of it. And most... It's like a live television thing, or...? Like a live... I don't know. Like, they filmed it... I don't know. I don't know what happened. It's, I couldn't find any information on it. It was hard to find. Um, and then there was a second remake simply called Plan 9, which I mentioned earlier. It was written and directed by someone with the suspiciously bland name of John Johnson. It was filmed in 2008 and released in 2015. The film attempts to take the story seriously and just becomes a generic flesh-eating zombie movie. It doesn't really satisfy the audience looking for any of the fun campiness of the original Plan 9, and by the time of its release, The Walking Dead had set the standard for contemporary zombies in film and television. Also, you get the vibe that the director just wanted to make a zombie movie and slap the Plan 9 name on it as a marketing gimmick. My favorite quote about this film, and it's unattributed... To. I can't. I don't know who it's attributed to, but I've, I've found it repeatedly, and I can never find out who said it first. But it said that whenever you watch Plan 9 from Outer Space, it always feels like it's 3 a.m. in the morning. So that being said, that's about right. Let's watch Plan 9 from Outer Space. We'll be right back. It is safe to state that the grandchildren of some of the people in this theater will not be born on Earth. from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead, zombies guided by a master plan for complete domination of the Earth. Plan 9 from outer space. Starring the most frightmarish cast ever, Bella Lugosi, the seductive vampira, and Thor Johnson as the walking dead. Turn off your electrode gun! No! No! Stop him, Dad! I can't get it! It's jammed! Stop him, you fool! Bullets bounce off their bodies. Rockets, missiles, jets cannot stop their death ships. What earthly power can stop this terror? For a glimpse of things to come, see this blast of screen suspense. For it could be happening right now. And we're back. That was Plan 9 from Outer Space, directed by Ed Wood. Written Hell, by Ed Wood. Produced by Ed Wood. Hell yeah, it was. Yeah, edited by edited Ed Wood. By Ed Wood. Yeah. It, was, it was really good. It was a fun it was movie. It fun times, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah like, you cannot deny that that was a fun time. That's that's yeah. the thing. Is like It's not... Because my, my opinion of like what makes a bad movie is one that's boring and dull, like First Men on Venus... Oh God! Like you want to see something bad? Like that, that, that movie bad. was almost never dull. It yeah. did have some moments where it's like, ah, eh, it's a little bit too much over explaining. Yeah. But even the <laughs> over explaining dialogue was still fun. It's like, what are you doing waiting here? I was told to wait here by who? <laughs> Our collective boss. So what were you doing waiting here? I was guiding the girl. There's no girl here. I know she was taken. Why don't you check the grave over there? Who's buried in that grave? I don't know. You gotta check know. it out. Go down. Let's get to the bottom of this. What do you mean? Get in it. 
go down. I can't see nothing. Do you got a flashlight? No. Do you want a match? That could work. Give it to me. <laughs> it's a lot of that. <laughs> I also love the fact that they didn't know, like, the it's, time. It's the grave of their dead. Of their dead, dead, dead Inspector Clay. Yeah. And the awesome thing is that they don't know, even though they were at that graveyard, like, two days ago, that it was it was Inspector Clay. It was just like, you you guys know who's you there. You must have been at yeah. the funeral. If you, if you weren't, that'd be very, very odd. So yeah, I don't know. It's such a fun movie. It's such a unique film. I don't. You you can't that's, recreate it. That's the thing. It. You you cannot like that was the issue with like I think you couldn't remakes. do it on purpose. It no. would have to be by accident. Yeah. Just the so, performances, yeah. some of which are so fucking lazy that it's. Uh, you have to curse, man. Sorry, I gotta, sorry, I gotta, sorry. I gotta go ahead and bleep that out. That's more editing <laughs> than I have to do. You're just getting real into it, Kat. I was really that's, into that's okay. it. Okay, I'm okay with you being really into Plan Nine from Outer Space. That's, but um, yeah. some of the performances are so lazy. Some of the people are just phoning it in, while others are like, oh, "I'm going to give it my all." You're stupid, stupid minds, <laughs> stupid. I love it. By our man Dudley Manlove. <laughs> Dudley Manlove stars, starring as Eros. <laughs> like in my opinion, the aliens are the heroes of this movie. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah. Because they're entirely being like, you guys shouldn't build more bombs. Like, if you've hit your your peak with the atom bomb, stop. With the, that's a great thing about sci-fi from that era. Yeah. And it's it's true of Star Trek as well, which mm-hmm. I've been watching a lot of. But it's all TOS like, or TNG? TOS. Yeah, nice. Um, I think it was true of TNG as well. But it's surprising mm-hmm. to be part of TOS because it's usually always like uh, human humans almost killed themselves with their stupid bombs yeah. and their guns and stuff. Mm-hmm. And stupid, stupid bombs. Yeah, and we've <laughs> learned not to do that. Yeah. And that's always uh, the bit about sci-fi is that humans are going to kill themselves with their mm-hmm. weapons. Yeah. I, Which I, is a good message because I, I have to say, like, I've really grown wrong. to appreciate and like Star Trek the older I get because, like, I realize, man, like, when I watched TNG growing up, that's Star Trek The Next Generation for those of us that are not nerds. Um, it's, uh, it made you think. Like, you'd end some episodes and be like, hmm, you know what? I really got to think about this one. Like, some, what does this some mean? Some really uh, well-written episodes, some yeah. uh, uh, moral ambiguity, lots of things mm-hmm. uh, they piped into those TNG episodes. But yeah. you'd be surprised about how much of that is in TOS as well. Oh, totally, totally. Although definitely... they do rely on too many tropes. Like, we're going to a planet that's run by 1930s Chicago gangsters for some I reason. I love that episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. No, but also, I lo- the, the by the third season of TO- of the original series, it's uh, it gets a little wacky. All right, anyway, back, yeah, to, back, to, back, back to Plan to 9. Plan 9. Um, yeah, no, I, which, I, which was an inspiration for all these things that we're oh, talking about now. So well, I, I don't think it was an inspiration. I think it was part of the wave of science of uh, socially conscious sci-fi films. Cause that's the thing. Like a lot of the, 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 the sci-fi films at the time were written by black, blacklisted screenwriters who were from the, uh, the of communist communi- thing. Yeah, okay. of communism. So that's why a lot of the sci-fi of the fifties, even though it was cheap, it was all metaphorical for communism or, or giving into mob mentality, or, which yeah, or just, yeah. Yeah. Pacifism or. Mm-hmm. And by communism, we mean socialism. Well, sorry. By communism, I mean Soviet communism, which is not really socialism. That's, uh, that's the thing. It's, it's, I, it's, I'd a, argue, it's a debate. There's, I'd argue there's stuff. the writers that were blacklisted were socialists. Yes. But the, the, the stuff depicted in the sci-fi is more oh, Soviet communism. Gotcha, sorry, yeah. that's what I meant to clarify. Right, okay. Yeah, I saw you shoot like a dagger in my eye for like one brief moment. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not one of those guys. I'm not one of those guys that like thinks college students somehow want to go back to the USSR. No, no, I, I didn't mean it like that. But like, I guess like because like the term communism is used so interchangeably. That I know with socialism. I know it's difficult. That's the thing. Like, they were, people just define themselves as communists when they're really just socialists. I'd even argue that using, I, I, I even argue that. 
know that Nazi is short for National Socialism? I'm sorry. That's oh a, shit! I know. I know. That's a, <laughs> a right wing talking. I know. Point. But they none of them like to point out that the Democratic People's Hitler Republic of North was a socialist. No, yeah, yeah, he that's wasn't. what they love to say. And he was a vegetarian. <laughs> Fascism sure. is actually left wing. No, yeah, these are all right wing. Stupid, dumb, deep. Well, my my favorite points. thing is how like. You know, they all like whenever I bring up like, well, that was the really Dinesh D'Souza school of thought. Yeah, like when I, I talk to like, there's a relative I have who's very, very right wing and very much like, well, the only good thing socialists ever made was the AK-47. I'm like, that was the Soviets. No, no, the USSR, the United Soviet Socialist Republic. And I'm like, no, okay, well, if that's the case, then why is North Korea the Democratic People's Republic of Korea? It's neither a republic or a democracy. So yeah, people yeah. are easily, easily fooled by words. Yeah. See, we're kicking off to a great start by alienating all of our audience with this horrible political talk. Back to Plan 9 from Outer Space. Um, Subscribe to socialism, folks. It's the only way to go. I'd argue social democracy <laughs> would be... Okay, we got to stop talking about this. Um, Plan 9 from Outer Space. So, I don't know. Where do you where do you start with this movie? Oh, we can't really go over the plot. No, because it's so loopy and doesn't really go anywhere. It like, doesn't really make sense, plot, but I think... Here's, here's the actual plot. I was thinking of it. A pilot sees a spaceship... The spaceship tries well, first to... first, somebody dies. A guy's wife dies. Oh, right. Who's unrelated. Yeah, she's not really tied into... And then he's so sad that he dies as well. He walks into traffic and dies. He walks into die. traffic and dies. Yeah. And that's Bella Lugosi's Yeah, character. so yeah, Bella Lugosi's wife is Vampira, a.k.a. Vampire Girl. And uh, Bella Lugosi is the ghoul man, and um, who is also mostly played by Dr. Tom Mason with a cape in front of his face. Um, and then, yeah, like basically a man's wife dies. He's so distraught that he then walks into traffic and dies. Then a pilot sees this flying saucer and then the flying saucer resurrects the wife and the man. And then they kill the, those guys kill the, um, grave diggers. Yes. And the, by the way, the graveyard is all like goes from being clearly an indoor set to being a unkempt field very quickly. And also like night and day, like are interchangeable in this movie. Like, such you, a cozy looking de- graveyard, I isn't know. it? Like, yeah, that's because there's a, like the because you never see those quaint little like wooden crosses that with are little at a right angles to each other. Yeah. So it's like, are they are they stacking bodies in that graveyard? Always fog, just yeah. fog, just billowing through fog constantly. constantly until until they need to go to like a, a wide shot. Grave, basically, yeah, it looks like yeah, like like pet cemetery, which I've never seen. Oh, it's good. Yeah, I should lend you the VHS. I got it here somewhere. I, Keep, should I read the here. book too? Or yeah, movie's fine. Um, yeah, no, I mean, there's so many great moments here, like when the when the the co-pilot of Jeff Trent, the um, the guy, like talks to the, uh, the stewardess, the stewardess about like, hey, you want to go balling in Albuquerque? And she's like, oh, you haven't looked at the manifesto because when we get there, it'll be four a.m. and Albuquerque's in strictly nine p.m. town. <laughs> I love He's that. like, well, I know a guy, and then they talk around it for like another five minutes, and then goes back to like, so how about that ball in Albuquerque? And she's like, you know what, you are charming. I'll see you there. And he's like, great. The funny thing is, he's the least um, charismatic actor I think they have on set, perhaps. No. He's he's just reading his lines, not even trying to throw much into it. This is a day job for him. Yeah. I think it probably took him a day to film this. Uh, yeah, I think all of the cockpit scenes were filmed in one day. <laughs> Half a day. He's like, how much am I getting for this? All right, 50 bucks, all right. I still love... So, even though it's not reality, in the film Ed Wood, when Bella Lugosi has complained to Ed Wood about, like, it's cold, and he's like, Bella... I've got 48 other scenes to shoot tonight. Please get in the water. And, like, it's clear that, like, yes, like, he shot fast. Like, you hear those stories of Roger Corman shooting oh, it's a, the, um, the Little famous... Shop of Horrors in two days. It was a weekend movie because they had, they had 
a set that was going to be torn down on Monday morning that they had left over on Friday. And so from Friday night until Monday, the original 48-hour film challenge, except he did a whole feature film in 48 hours. Oh, wow. Which is just, which he said after We can barely get done a five-minute I nearly <laughs> died on the last one. Um, yeah, so it's, you know. Well, the one thing I remember about the movie, Ed Wood, which mm-hmm. I haven't seen in over a decade, but it was just like, um, hey, Ed, I think a Gravestone fell over in that last shot. Do we need to reshoot? Nah, it's fine. It'll be good. Print it. Like, no, but like, nobody cares about the small <laughs> details. It's all about the big picture. Yeah, exactly. I love that movie so much. I love. I watch Ed Wood like at least two or three times a year, just because I want to go back to that time of making movies. Even though it's not true, like that's how that went. Like Ed Wood directed other features in between those films. Like it shows him only making three features, and he like Glenn or Glenda, Glenn or Glenda, Bride of the Monster, aka Bride of the Atom, and then uh, then Plan Nine from Outer Space. But uh, yeah, that movie's so fun. If you haven't seen it, like, and, that, and that's really what kind of turned me on to because I first it's a saw love letter that film that's that's what yeah. I like Tim I first, Burton really yeah he really nailed it I yeah. first saw it on Christmas morning of like the year 2000 I think it was so Newfoundland television and TV oh yeah it's your Christmas movie yeah it's my favorite Christmas movie because and I think I probably explained this on the podcast before um, one Christmas morning me and my sister woke up early when we were in Newfoundland for Christmas turn on NTV Newfoundland television and, New, and NTV like has the craziest insane program like the owner of MTV before he passed sorry NTV before he passed away Jeff Sterling was in the Transcendental Meditation and his late night Fantastic. programming definitely reflected that so <laughs> he uh he uh so so Christmas morning uh, he came on like I think like I think we got up like at, I think the movie ended at like seven and so it probably started at five was Ed Wood and that's the movie I watched Christmas morning. And it was, I, I'd never seen it before. It was so good. A perfect Christmas treat. I know. I love Edward. I'm going to probably watch it again. So I haven't watched it this holiday season. I watched it, not last, like, I watched it New Year's in 2017 into 2018. You were there for that, Phil, when we watched yes, Edward. Yes, I was, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, uh, sometimes. But back to back to Plan 9. So, so, yeah, like, I mean, there's a lot of themes that they explore. Well, what I was uh, trying to determine, mm-hmm. I think you you briefly mentioned it earlier, is who was the f- the hero of that film? You were thinking the aliens. I have to say, I'm the, thinking yeah. like the hero they planned is probably the pilot. It was probably the pilot, but the thing is, it's it's he's very... so useless in that film. Though. I know that's he's just kind of like a bystander. He just kind of like things happen around him. He he's not proactive at all. Like even when like he sees the flying saucer, he's just like moping, like oh I can't tell anyone to his wife. And it's like he should have been shouting it from the hills, like going to a newspaper man, being like, "Look here, like I saw a flying saucer. I'm a pilot." And the newspaper man should be like, "Okay, prove it to me." And he's like, "Look here, 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 and here." And there would have been evidence, but there wasn't. Um, yeah, he does nothing. He just kind of reacts. Kinda, yeah, At one he's point, very he tries to shoot one of the aliens and misses, and <laughs> nearly blows up the ship. And by the yeah. way, that ship—I've never seen a spaceship that had like wooden plywood two by four tables it's got it's got three doors it's got mm-hmm. a ladder on one of the walls two of the walls inside, and, the outside, walls, inside yeah. and out it's got metal that sounds like no metal you've ever heard of like a <laughs> twang twang sound and yeah wooden cheap wooden tables to yeah. uh put their equipment on yeah yeah you definitely couldn't use that ladder it's no no, no it's, that was well it's, it's, it's yeah a, it's you couldn't get a grip on it's it. a decorative ladder for it's sure a decorative ladder it's like you know we, we, we saw these empty walls we just wanted to add a little something to give it some panache by the way those aliens had so much panache from their like i feel like it was leggings. probably like a submarine set that they'd uh, repurposed or yeah, something yeah totally but even though it didn't have portholes um, but I love who the ruler was played by John Breckenridge, who is the infamous Bunny Breckenridge, who's played by Bill Murray in Ed Wood. Oh, he's his wonderful. Oh, yeah. His whole hand moment movement he's thing. He's so where, dramatic. Every single thing he does. Like, what are you going to what, what are you going to do now? 
We're going to do Plan 9. Ah, yes, Plan 9. The resurrection of the dead by shooting an electrode ray into the pituitary gland of the recently deceased. And it's like, what does that have to... How does that plan actually work? How does resurrecting three corpses aid you in disarming the human race? Also, am I mistaken? He was the only actor who got, like, these fantastic, Dramatic like, dolly push-ins. shots, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, push-ins and, and pull-outs pull yeah. and stuff like that. No, like, sure. He well, must have demanded e- them. Eros had had one dramatic pull-out while he's, like, explaining the whole thing of, like, first the firecracker, a useless toy, then a hand grenade, you can kill one or two men at a time, then the bomb, then a better bomb, then the atomic bomb, or the nuclear bomb, you split the atom, then the hydrogen bomb, and now you're about to make the celluloid bomb. No, celluloid? No. No, it's the... Solar... The sol- the sol- Solu- Solunite? Solunite. Solunite. I think it's the yeah. Solunite. Where you light... It just keeps going. <laughs> yeah. And so there's a slight, like, dolly out on that. And, like, that's the thing, like, in all of Ed Wood's films, it's always shown... Or in the film Ed Wood, and, like, in Popular Idea, it's all just, like, static shot, shot, shot. He had some good shots here. He had some good lighting. The the one with the... Uh, when the wrestler comes when out Tor of the grave? When Johnson emerges from the grave, yeah. He has a light shooting <laughs> up and really good makeup effects. I'd even argue that the scene with uh, Vampire when she's, like first debuts and you get this like the smoke and the haze and the tree is kind of in front of her and then there's really dramatic lighting hitting her and she comes out with her extra long fingernails yeah yeah and her skinny waist that makes me worry about her apparently organs apparently from what i read it was she would fast for two days and then use a corset to like shrink her intestines can't fit into that space but she she lived pretty long she lived uh, until the uh i think the early 2000s her waist is about three inches in length in some of these like it's just Mm mm-hmm yeah, well, her limbs make look like she has, like, Marfan syndrome, basically. Yeah. So she, she looks, like, inhuman. But, you know what, it... I guess that's the idea, yeah, though, exactly. right? Yeah, exactly. She's like, the vampire that's why she girl. she was picked. Mm-hmm. So, it's very, yeah, fascinating casting, because, like, who gets buried... Also, like, when Bella Lugosi passes away, for some reason, they... Well, in real life, he was buried in his Dracula costume, although that was not in his will. I would, to, by the way, I was just thinking of that, like mm-hmm. some future generation digging him up for some reason and finding the skeleton in, like, Dracula garb. Yeah. That'd be great. I know. <laughs> so here's the thing. So Bela Lugosi in real life was buried in one of his Dracula costumes. It was, it's been repeated that it was, it was in his will to be buried in a Dracula costume. However, that's not the case. It was actually his son, Bela Lugosi Jr. and his ex-wife, Lillian Lugosi, who decided to do that. You know, that's a, just a little off topic. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how part of the, uh, the vampire myth got created. Yeah was because they were so bad at medical mm-hmm. science back in the day. They used to bury people alive all the oh, time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, when, so they would they would bury Grandpa, mm-hmm. wasn't quite dead, and he would wake up in his coffin, and he would affix, asphyxiate and, like, scratch the uh, the walls of the coffin. Mm-hmm. And then they would, like, oh, we got to get some charm off of him or something like that. They would dig him up, and, like, blood would be coming out of his mouth. and mm-hmm. his, his, his The grave would be disturbed, yeah. Yeah, I know. and he's like, read... oh, Grandpa was a vampire. We didn't realize. Well, I want to point, point it to you. I've got the vampire book, which is a thousand page book on vampire, vampire, the history of vampirism. It's really good. You learn all about the whole, like the original idea of the Uper, which was the, the forebearer of the vampire and how like initially the whole concept of staking a vampire was not actually to destroy the heart, but actually to like, like keep them in the keep, grave, keep them attached yeah, to, the, yeah. to the grave. Yeah. It was like, cause they would be like buried face down and it would be like a metal spike nailed through their, their back to keep them stuck to the ground. And then occasionally there would be the sound of like a uh, uh, as like they did it, and they were like, "Oh my god, it's it's him crying on pain," but it was just Not like just air, gas escaping, yeah, yeah, gas escaping from the lungs, yeah. Then they wise up and stuck bells in there, yeah, yeah because they used to bury people alive by all accident, the time. yeah. <laughs> ding 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 ding! Oh crap! 
<laughs> Savor the bell. When I wake up in the morning and the long gets out of warning, I don't think I'll ever make it on time. By the time I got my books and I give myself a look, I'm at the corner just in time to see the bus fly by. It's all right, cause I'm sleeping on the bell. <laughs> the original Save by the Bell. Yeah. Yes, the original Save by the Bell. Yeah. That was one of uh, I'd watch that show. Mm-hmm. That was one of Yeah, two. Zach Morris, great digger. <laughs> oh no, Mr. Belding's still alive. Time out. So I really had, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What were you gonna say, Kit? Uh, no, it wasn't a great point. I was just like that was Edgar Allan Poe's chief fear in life was being be buried, buried alive, alive. Yeah, yeah. Well that's why he now actually wrote several short stories about Oh mm-hmm. god, the Buried in the Wall story, whatever that was called. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, the I, I can't remember as well. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Listeners, you know what? You'll probably scream. The Fall of the House of Usher also mm-hmm. deals with uh, yes. being buried alive. But yeah. anyway, go on. Sorry. Yeah. So, yeah, like back to Plan 9. We keep saying that back to Plan 9 because Plan 9 just like you shoot off into so many different directions. Oh, my God. It's it's such a pleasure to mm-hmm. watch, though, I think. Yeah, it, it's a super fun movie. Um, just like, but it's... There's there's hallmarks of being made by amateurs, just like the way they deal with the the gun prop, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, they, <laughs> they scratch their chin with yeah, the gun. Yeah, they scratch their chin. They, they use point it to gesture. Yeah, like nobody One would ever do that. One guy doesn't put down a gun while he's turning a he's, dial, he's and he's turning a dial. It's and pointing the gun at his po- face. Yeah, that's, and the gun is pushed point. up against the dial. Nobody with an actual live gun would behave that way, even no. if you didn't know how to be, handle guns. You were like, I'm going to put this down. Yeah, I'm not going to scratch my face <laughs> with but, my finger on the trigger. Yeah, but because the actors know it's a prop, they. They don't yeah. think of these things, but that's exactly. that's a failure of the director. That's a mm-hmm. failure of the actors. It's a failure of a number of people on set who were like, mm-hmm. yeah. we got two days to shoot this picture. Um, <laughs> uh, it's interesting. The studio that, that it was filmed in is still standing to this day, um, and it's standing. It's between. Do I have it? In my, I didn't have it in my notes, otherwise I would have brought it up. But it's between a hotel and in and a bar called oh the the bar was called gold diggers and the the bar as of the 80s when the documentary uh flying saucers over hollywood was made was still standing and it was like between this like hotel for like single actors and a burlesque club and it was like unlike a lot of studios at the time which had like you know big parking lots where you walked in it actually was down a very narrow alleyway and it's kind of hidden in a block where there's like a whole bunch of buildings so wedged into the middle of this area is this studio and like that no one would see from the street in uh, I think it's in Burbank yeah it's in Burbank and so even finding it when they were trying to like track down all the locations where it was filmed was difficult because you couldn't just you couldn't really find a street address you had to like go down an alleyway and that by that time it had become like a live event space for like bands and recording sessions and stuff had been done there but it was no longer a film studio and it like it's pretty small like I saw some video of it and it, like for I, it's comparable to a smaller uh, photo studio, I would say. So yeah, so interesting stuff. Um, what else can we talk about? Yeah. Uh, uh, aside from the performances, like we, I don't know, we tried to outline the plot, but there's not much plot. Because to the outline. plot, the plot is okay. So the plot, as we discussed before, is that there are two dead people that are resurrected by aliens for some reason to help them disarm or to basically be their muscle on Earth. Is what I gathered, but. All, what I gathered from watching it this time is that the aliens just want to be acknowledged by the Earth people, but the governments keep covering it up. Even when they go to to Washington to attack the Pentagon, the army like opens fire, and then at the end of it, 
the one of the guys that op- like op- with lots of wonderful stock yeah. footage from World War Two. Yeah, yeah, great, great World War Two <laughs> footage. And um, the Korean War, I assume too. But. Probably all. Now the Korean War is still going on at the time. So, or was it fifty-five? Yeah, it was in the fifties. Yeah. So it's probably the freshest stock yeah, footage. Yeah. That's probably it where probably, they got yeah, it from. Yeah, it was probably yeah. Korea. Korean War was like three years or something. Yeah, it was like was it fifty-one like to fifty-four? Yeah, Mash was twelve years. Mash outlasted <laughs> the actual war. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so that like at the end of that, one of the military guys says like, "What do you mean firing at aliens? We're just doing a a test. Uh, this was a training procedure where we." take aim at clouds like yeah i i love that they never really explain why the u.s military is going to deny all of this like why that's because it would maybe destabilize world economies or they something they don't even explain that, would that be though. the they smart even... thing to say but they don't but again this is ed wood no we gotta keep it script. under wraps i wrote the script yesterday we're shooting it today let's get through this you know ed wood was you know he there was a lot of stuff going on in his life that we'll get he was into an auteur. Soon. yeah um so yeah so it's the the aliens trying to make their presence known so well, they also, can. But what was the language computer thing again? I I, I love that. Well, they didn't Cause they understand because they kept on. So the they aliens calling it like the language computer. Well, and then and then like, well, just imagine you develop a computer that can decipher a, like an alien species' language, and the first message is them just condescending to you the whole time. Well, we see you finally invented the Dakota machine, aka or as you call it, the language computer. <laughs> you stupid Earthling. We invented that thousands of years ago. Yeah. I don't think your brains can handle what we're about to drop on you. But but that's uh, that's in a scene of expo- uh, exposition with the yeah. two army guys. Yeah, yeah. One one of the and and he's like, oh well, we've uh, we've actually heard from the aliens before. And then the mm-hmm. sensible the question down. is, they spoke English. And then they have to explain that no, we had to. They're not really, but we created this language computer. Yeah. By the way, the aliens just speak, they speak per- English. Yeah. Perfect English. When they uh, when the aliens meet the people, uh, they just speak English. <laughs> There's also they're also okay. So we're still trying to wrap our heads around it. There's a scene where the female alien takes over trying to explain from Eros, and then Eros I, just I like grabs her, throws her out of the way, like drags her away, and says, "We are not like you. We respect women." And it's like, wait, but you just like threw her like. Well, yeah, you. I guess because because mm-hmm. the uh, the the three humans are in there with their guns drawn, and they're yeah. being antagonistic. One of them has already shot the computer. Yeah, um, daring the uh, alien to do it again, mm-hmm. and he's he's trying to explain all the the whole spiel that you said about oh you've invented this and you've invented that, and now you're going to invent the but your juvenile minds night. can't handle it. Yeah, and then she comes in and she's like, yeah, you you're a bunch of idiots. You you don't even understand this, and you you kill each other here and you kill each mm-hmm. other there, and then he's had enough. He's like, that's enough out of you. We respect our women. Yeah. <laughs> well, what happened? Uh, it's so like, insane. The climax isn't really even a climax. It's like them people like it's like the Jeff Trent gets into a fist fight with Eros in the UFO, and uh, then fire gets started. Then somehow, fire gets started We're not and sure the UFO how. takes off, and like the female alien is like, "Eros, wake up! This the saucer's on fire!" And they don't even make it back to the ruler on the mothership. Um, no, they the 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 it, it explodes, up. and it then explodes. Criswell comes in and says, "Like now you know the truth." Of what happened on that fateful day. Well, the people on the Earth are like, mm-hmm. do you think we'll see them again? And they're like, eh. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> and again, like, are we going to tell anyone about this? No. <laughs> really? They have a they have an electrode gun that resurrects the dead, that can control the dead, yet you don't... You're not nah, going to tell anyone. No, we're, we're, no. we're going to go for a cover-up on see, this one, Bob. And by the way, the Criswell, the narrator, it's very confusing because he talks about the events as if they they're, they could possibly happen in the future, but also that, that they already occurred, now. and we are, this is from the sworn testimony of the survivors. On your drive home, yes. you might be driving right by an alien. And can you truly handle the terror of what lies in the future? <laughs> like, what does that even mean, Criswell? It's very bizarre. 
It's so great. Yeah. I know. So, on the whole, I guess, final thoughts on Plan 9 from Outer Space, Phil? Uh, it's my first time watching it. It was fun. Mm-hmm. It was crudely made, and that's what's part of the charm. The je ne sais quoi. The je ne sais quoi. The proto-Star Trek-ness of it. Yeah. Definitely. The aliens definitely are just some proto-Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. So. Like you were saying how um, you were you're pointing out uh, you could see the fish line on the flying saucers. Yeah, yeah. And I've I've watched a few Star Trek episodes where I'm like, oh, I can see the fish line on that floating thing. <laughs> that's, I guess that's the best they could do. Yeah. yeah it's, and you know what? The effects in this movie, for as cheap as it was, were not terrible. Like this, the flying saucers, like for, except for that one shot where you could see the fishing line, looked all right. They there were some good um, uh, super like they did some good optimal effects of superimposing a flying saucer saucer over actual footage that they shot. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was good use of stock footage because without it, the movie would be like twenty minutes long. Yep. Yeah, and I'm just trying to think of like Vampira's entire, like she must have had like what six minutes of screen time. She was probably just there for a day. Yeah, yeah. half a day even. Like, yeah, not even. exactly. Tor Johnson was probably there for a couple days because he has lines. Vampira has no lines. Um, yeah, and Bella goes. He's in it for like ninety seconds. Yeah. I, and we loved the useless exposition where it's like uh, the wrestler guy. I forget his character oh, name. Oh, when he's just like, what are you going to do? I'm going to go take a knock around. And he's like, well, it's, well, pretty, it's dark. pretty dark. As soon as you get past that light, you won't be able to see the hand in front of your face. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to get a flashlight. And then he goes over and gets a flashlight. <laughs> From the car. It's, it's, it's a like, why do we? Why do, why do we need him to explain? We don't need any of that. We could just see him in the field with a yeah. flashlight. That would but be enough. But that's the charm of Ed Wood. <laughs> From what I've seen of his works, like... He'll describe someone, I'm going to do this and do that. And you're like, oh, so they're explaining it so they don't have to show it. And nope, they just go ahead and show <laughs> they're it. They're going to show it as well. They yeah. need to fill out that movie running time. Mm-hmm. So, Kit, what are your final thoughts on Edward? Uh, uh, it's the nine. second time I've seen it. And uh, it's a pleasure to watch. It's fun. It's Again, it's unique. I don't think you'd recreate mm-hmm. it. No. Uh, you couldn't try to do it. You have to mistakenly do it. <laughs> you shouldn't. No, no, as we learned. I was wondering if, like, if somebody like, say, Spielberg or somebody could take what the movie wanted to be and try to make that? I don't think so. I don't think it would be that good. Like, not try to do a parody, not try yeah. to do an homage to the bad. War of the Worlds? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. But that's, but that's kind of what the, the 2015 Plan 9 tried to do. Like, I did some research on it, and John Johnson, very generic name, and I suspect is fake, uh, the director said, like, I really wanted to do what he was actually trying like to set out to do to make an actual, like, scary horror film, even though this film was much more sci-fi. So, like, that's why he made it Zombies, apparently, even though I think he just wanted to make a zombie film and slap the Plan 9 name on it to sell some more copies. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's fun. I, I, my pitch to kind of do something like this is to do, like, a modern-day, like, even though now it's 20-something years old, Independence Day-style movie. But when they reveal the aliens, it's just those aliens, like, in, like, green tights and silver jumpsuits just being, like, I'm trying to think of a thing. Like, do you guys remember? I'm trying to think of other sci-fi films from that era. Obviously, I think the, the day the Earth stood still. Day the Earth stood still and Forbidden Planet are the yeah, uh, the biggest the big ones. ones. Yeah, this island Earth, I guess. Forbidden I Planet had the had the had the great um, thing. Like, we're just going to use an invisible alien. That yeah, way we don't have to use that much exactly. special it's effects because your mind um, does the work for you. But I'm sure there's so many sci-fi films there from that lots. era that would be on par with Plan Nine if we could only unearth them. Yeah, I mean, I've got a couple here somewhere, but yeah, yeah. they're not that good though. No, not watchable in the same way. No, they're just boring. That's the thing. This movie is not boring. I never saw the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's good. I've I've seen it. Yeah, I remember seeing it. I've seen both. Oh, no. There's three. So I've only there's seen four. four. 
Oh. <laughs> I've seen <laughs> the, the Donald Sutherland. It's called the, the Invasion. The Invasion, the Nicole Kidman one. Oh, right. Okay, so I've seen the Leonard Nimoy one. I've yeah. seen the original. That's all I've seen. I've seen the Abel Ferrero. I want to see the Abel Ferrero one. I haven't seen it in a while, but I want to see it soon. I've, it's, I it's didn't. I, body Snatcher. Yeah. I remember that. It came out in the yeah. late 90s. Or, I did yeah. not see it. Uh, we're actually going to do an Abel Ferrero month. So just so oh, you know. Sweet. So it might be one of the ones. Because, yeah, I, I, I want to Lieutenant? No. We're gonna do driller. I've never Kill- seen Bad Lieutenant. We're gonna do driller killer, Ms. Forty Five, um, the addiction, and another one. I don't know which one though. King of New York. Maybe King of New York. City. Oh, King of New York. I yeah. let's do King of New okay. York. Okay, there we go. We got it. I've got only it. seen part of that movie, but every single second I saw it was like, this is a yeah. great fucking movie. Oh, Sorry about the swearing. Again. I have to bleep it out. Yeah, it's fine. So to cap off Plan Nine from Outer Space, this podcast began with a death, and it's going to end with a death. So, before I get into the life and, you know, death of Ed Wood, uh, we're going to be watching Clifford next, which is Phil's pick. We're going to be entering yes. a time where, so I, I tend to pick all the movies myself. And um, you, you pick them well, sir. You yeah, pick them well. Thank you. So, I've decided to, like, just as a change after episode 50, give myself a little break and open up the floor to the other hosts of this podcast to pick movies to watch. We want to show Graham something new, something he hasn't mm-hmm. seen before. Although I've seen Clifford before. Uh, and you're dreading I'm it. I'm dreading hard. <laughs> I, I have, maybe, maybe it needs yeah. a revisit. Yeah. I've never seen it, so I'm looking for yeah, it. Yeah, I'm excited for this. Was this, uh, was this after, um, what was it? What Martin Short era was it? It was So this was 94, but the movie was supposed to come out in 91. Because there was, um, what was that where he was a bank robber? Three Fugitives. Three Fugitives. And so this was right after Three Fugitives that it was filmed. Hmm. There was a sequel to Three Fugitives. Am really? I no, I think you're thinking of another stakeout. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Ed Wood. Here we go. Edward Davis Wood Jr. was born on the 10th of October, 1924 in Poughkeepsie in the United States of America. At age 12, he was given his first film camera, a Kodak Cinespecial, and with it, he actually filmed the infamous Hindenburg blimp as it crossed the Hudson River shortly before it crashed in New Jersey. That's the whole... Oh, the humanity crash. Right, right. Um, in 1942, just after Pearl Harbor, 17-year-old Ed Wood lied about his age and enlisted in the Marine Corps. He fought in World War II in the Pacific, uh, in the Pacific, uh, specifically in the Battle of uh, Tarawa and the Battle of Guadalcanal. He achieved the rank of corporal before being honorably discharged in 1946. In 1947, Ed Wood to move lo- moved to Los Angeles, California to start his film career. He formed a, pro- a production company the same year specifically to produce filmed commercials for television. This was actually one of the first, if not the first, commercial production company in history. At the same time, he briefly worked in the story department of Universal Pictures, which is where all those scenes from Ed would come from him you know, walking around the back lot at Universal. And he soon began directing and producing his own work. Some of these works included the 1951 short subject for television, The Sun Was Setting, In 1953, he made his feature film directorial debut with Glenn or Glenda, and contrary to how it was depicted in the film Ed Wood, Ed Wood didn't just stumble across the story of monogram pictures adapting the Christine Jorgensen story in Variety. He actually sublet an office space to monogram pictures, and he was the only person who wanted to direct the film because of its subject matter. Also, contrary to to the film Ed Wood, the film was known not just as Glenn or Glenda, but also I Changed My Sex in Certain Markets. Um, in 1953, he directed several episodes of Criswell Presents, which is where he met the amazing Criswell, who we saw in, uh, in uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space and was portrayed by Jeffrey Jones in Ed Wood. He then went on to create and produce a television western pilot called Crossroad Avenger, The Adventures of the Tucson Kid. This was his big passion project. Um, 
despite what you know popular culture says his favorite genres were not horror and sci-fi it was actually the western that excited him the most that's what he really wanted to do but at Everybody the time in that day and age i think of course i want to do westerns but it's just the you know the the at the time it was easier to make a cheap sci-fi film and make a profit than to make a cheap western and make a profit in 1954, he directed the crime film Jailbait, which featured one of the first appearances by Steve... Jailbait. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you got to hear it to believe it. Uh, and it fe- featured one of the first appearances by Steve Reeves, who would go on to star in the massively successful 1950s sword and sandal Hercules epics in Italy. In 1955, he continued his work with Bela Lugosi in Bride of the Monster. Um, it should be noted that Lugosi... Oh, Glenn or Glenda was the first time that Edward and Bela Lugosi worked together. Uh, it should be noted that Lugosi, at the time of Bride of the Monster, was incredibly frail, and his drug addiction was ravaging his body. He initially didn't want to do the film, but Ed Wood was able to raise enough money to pay him $1,000 a day to act in the film. This gave Lugosi the money to enter a rehab facility and to kick his addictions, or to try to kick his addictions. Um, Bride of the Monster was also the first time that Ed Wood worked with wrestler Tor Johnson. In 1956, he made the film we just saw, Plan 9 from Outer Space, Although it should be pointed out that it didn't get a release until 1959, Ed Wood is quoted as saying, If you want to know me, go see Glenn or Glenda. That's me. That's my story, no question. But Plan 9 is my pride and joy. And I think we all agree to that. That same year... Have you ever seen Glenn or Glenda? Yeah. I have it here on VHS. We can watch it soon. Interesting. Not I, I don't know if good. I mean, it's like sixty minutes long. It's it's okay. not a, it's not a long investment in your time. So when you glean from Christopher Cherry's VHS collection, yeah, yeah, nice. Did you get... say it's transpositive? Yeah, for for its time. Yeah, I suppose. for its time. <laughs> the interesting thing about Ed Wood is that like he had no sexual connection to cross dressing. He, he was well. The 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 movie portrays mm-hmm. him as being into it. Yeah, but um, I don't know if that's true. He or had not. no real sexual like. Predilection to towards it. In fact, he in some of his like you know later pornographic films, there's actually a lot of anti-homosexual content. Mm, so mm. he did pornographic films. Oh, we'll, we'll get to there. Uh, his life didn't end very well. Uh, so where were we? Oh yeah. So in the same year as Plan Nine from Outer Space, he wrote the film The Violent Years, which we watched way back in episode yeah, thirty-seven. Which was, was a fun watch. I think yeah, only 60 minutes that. long, yeah. thankfully. Yes. Um, in 1959, he wrote and directed Night of the Ghouls, which also featured Tor Johnson and Dr. Tom Mason. That was a sequel. To Plan 9? No. No. Okay. It was totally different. Um, in 1960, he made his last mainstream film, although I don't know how you can consider Plan 9 or Glenn or Glenda mainstream, but it was called The Sinister Urge, which if you remember Rob Zombie's second solo album in 2001 was called The Sinister Urge as a tribute to the film. As we all recall. As we all recall, that great <laughs> troubadour of our time, Rob Mr. Zombie, Robert uh, Zombie. Speaking Esquire. of Rob Zombie. Was Dracula Was Dracula on that? No, that was Hope It Was Speaking of which, the Rob Zombie's band that he came to fame with, White Zombie, White Zombie was taken from the Bela Lugosi movie, White, White Zombie. Zombie. Yeah. That's correct, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which was, that was like 32 or 33? 32, yeah. Yeah, 32. Something. Early stuff. I really like watching movies from the 30s. There's like... Cause they had they, a couple good tunes, White Zombie. One oh, or two. Yeah. yeah. More the human than human, for yeah, sure. There was, there, there was that yeah. duet with Iggy Pop uh, on the first record. Oh, I don't remember that one. Mm-hmm. The first breakthrough record. Not Definitely not the first record, because they started out as a noise rock band. Yeah. And then they gradually evolved into Then they became a sort of groove metal. Yeah. Well, they got the Beavis and Butthead thumbs up, mm-hmm. and then that was, uh, it was a takeoff for them. Yeah. That was all they needed. So after the sinister urge, Ed Wood's drinking grew out of control. 
and he ended up writing and directing sexploitation films for the rest of the 60s mm. into the early 1970s. His sexploitation films included Take It Out and Trade, which was recently restored and released on Blu-ray by the American Genre Film Archive. Um, the Only House in Town was another one of his films. Nymphocycler. I don't know what that is. Cycler. Necromania. And his final film, The Young Marrieds, which was actually thought lost forever until a pristine print was found in the basement of an abandoned porn theater in Vancouver, British Columbia. Hooray. I know. Way to go, Vancouver. Bringing it back. Apparently, though, like even his trademarks kind of were even into his sexploitation films. These weren't pornographic films. They were just, you know. Films with nudity. Films with nudity, essentially. Yeah. Um, let's see here. So, by the early 1970s, Ed Wood and his wife, Kathy, had gone from being... Kathy was portrayed by uh, Patricia Arquette in, yep. uh, in the film. Not Patricia Arquette, uh, oh, Sarah, God, Jessica, God. Sarah Jessica no, no, Parker. No. no, Sarah Jessica Parker portrayed his, his girlfriend. Oh. Patricia Arquette played his wife, Kathy. Okay, you're right. It's been a while since I've seen Ed Wood. All um, right. And so, they... So the, similar in, wigs. Yeah. Yeah, very similar wigs. In real life, Ed Wood and Kathy had gone from being socially functioning alcoholics to being barely able to make it through most days. They would frequently get kicked out of their houses and apartments for not paying rent, instead spending their money on booze. They had a racket where they would, when they would move to a new place, they'd go to the closest liquor store, uh, show them their like rent checks to establish a line of credit, and then run up the credit <laughs> as much as they could until they could no longer go back there. Only the LCBOs took lines of credit nowadays. Yeah. Um, to make ends meet during this time, Edward ended up writing pornographic novels for a small publishing company. Mm. Wood was disgusted with this work. He would frequently quit, but had to constantly go back again, begging for his job, each time agreeing to lower and lower pay. Oh, that's not good. Um, Kathy and Ed eventually ended up living in a disgusting apartment building in a Los Angeles ghetto. The hallways were filled with garbage and feces. Their neighbors frequently burst into violence, and the police would raid different apartments on a daily basis. Graham, you're bringing me down here. I know. This is ending on a sad note. <laughs> <laughs> Ed's work writing porn- pornographic novels trailed off because he would frequently show up to work drunk. To trick his co-workers into thinking he was actually sober, he would drink an entire bottle of vodka just before sitting down at his desk. Once he sat down, the alcohol would kick in and he could make it until 5 o'clock. Eventually, this stopped working and he was found out by his co-workers and he wrote less and less for the adult publishing company. He attempted to produce hardcore 8mm pornographic shorts, but mm. this didn't go anywhere. Uh, eventually, he took to pawning his beloved IBM executive typewriter, which he wrote all of his feature films on, to pay for booze for him and Kathy. He would do mm. it when he knew a paycheck from a porn novel was in the mail so that he could cash the check, get the typewriter back before someone else bought it. This worked multiple times until one of the checks bounced, and the typewriter that he had written all of his films on was sold off forever, and he could never get it back. This is making me sad, man. Depression had overtaken him. He had sold off the rights to most of his films over a decade before for booze money, and now they were being shown repeatedly on late-night television across the country. He didn't earn a single cent from the thousands of times Plan 9 played during his lifetime. Him and Kathy had taken to excessive fighting. The only things keeping them together during this time was their complete poverty and their addiction to alcohol. Contrary to popular belief, Ed Wood actually started to gain fame while he was alive. So this is kind of a positive thing. In 1977, he received a letter from the East Coast Film Society that was going to do a retrospective of his films. This thrilled him to no end. He carried the letter with him everywhere he went and read it repeatedly. He actually took the letter into the adult publishing company that he worked for to show his co-workers. One of those co-workers was Phil Cambridge. He read it, and he was shocked. And he actually said, and I quote, this was surprising because to me, he was just this disgusting old drunk who wrote porn. Oh, God. I know. I'm sorry I'm bringing you down, guys, but this is this is the truth. Come on, Graham, this is end, we, on, end on a light note. Here. We're, we're, no, there will be no Where's light the notes. There's sunshine and rainbows at the end There's of the story. There's none, unfortunately. 
1978, once and for all, Ed Wood lost his writing job. His apartment building had become overrun by a drug gang, and his landlord was forcibly evicting all tenants. One morning in December, he woke up and his legs had seized up. He was unable to walk. Kathy was trying to figure out how they were going to get him to the hospital when there was a knock at the door. It was two marshals from the sheriff's office there to kick them out of their apartment. Ed was able to get to his feet, and they were dragged, both him and Kathy were dragged screaming out of the apartment. Jesus. The only things they were able to grab was whatever cash they had, an Angora sweater. Oh, well, that's good. And a script Ed had written called I Woke Up Early the Day I Died, which later got produced in 1998 starring Billy Zane and Sandra Bernhardt. They left behind almost every photograph they had ever taken and Ed's handwritten memories, memoirs of Bela Lugosi, which was said to be the best thing Ed had ever written. Now homeless, Ed and Kathy called every person they could think of for help. No one would help them except for another alcoholic they knew named Peter Coe. He took them in and let them stay in his small apartment. On the 10th of December, 1978, Ed Wood lay down on Peter Cole's bed after drinking nearly an entire bottle of vodka in less than 30 minutes. He engaged in a screaming match with Kathy to get him another drink. They yelled back and forth in front of Peter Coe and and some friends that had stopped by. Kathy left the bedroom while Ed continued to scream for another drink. His scream suddenly changed from getting him another drink to screaming that he couldn't breathe. By this time, Kathy and everyone else in the apartment had decided to ignore his cries and soon Ed went quiet. He died of a heart attack brought on by undiagnosed heart disease. Two years later, he was voted the worst director of all time. <laughs> now that makes me sad that yeah. I laughed at that earlier. So that's the unfortunate story of Ed Wood. Um, we've kind of had a opinion of him from the from the Tim Burton movie as being this kind of like happy sort, but uh, maybe it, at the time he was right. Even when at the his time, he was still was drinking quite a bit, and he was still incredibly bitter. But by the end, like he ended up destitute and alone and now if you look at it like you know they're selling blu-rays of his movies now his films are screening all over the world and he never got to see it he died he was only 51 years old when he died yeah he, he would have been he was incredibly possibly young. still alive today if he had uh... or at least alive until the 90s yeah. until like oh. the appreciation of camp had like come back because like i've been watching he would have done the festival circuit he would have been brought out at the oscars even <coughs> the academy awards they would have brought him out Sure. He'd be introducing midnight screenings of Point Night from Outer Space. Oh, totally. Or Tommy Wiseau style. Yeah. But he would have been it would have been better than Tommy Wiseau because he he would have you know he enjoyed from what from what everyone said. So the book I read, Nightmare of Ecstasy, which was an oral history of Ed Wood. Every he had so many friends because he was just so charming and lovable. But unfortunately, like just by through his alcoholism, he wound up you know in the state he did working you know for a pornographic book company. And, you know, even his attempt to make, you know, hardcore Super 8 films failed because he couldn't get it off the ground. He couldn't get anything off the ground. So it's just, you know, a depressing story. Like, we hear so much about the the dreamer that makes it all, like, your Kevin Smiths, your Quentin Tarantinos, Robert Rodriguez. But there are so many others, much like Ed Wood, where, you know, they moved out to Hollywood and they still wound up being in the industry somewhat and eventually falling down the road to their demise like Ed did. Well, at least he's not making shit films like Kevin Smith is. Exactly. <laughs> so on that note, I've been Graham. 
I've been Phil. Is that the note we're going out on? Is that is that? I want to go out on a serious note. Like, this is that's the thing. Like we, you know, everyone likes to poke fun at Plan Nine. Likes to like, you know, jokey. Oh, it's fun to poke. I know, fun I know. It's Grant. fun to poke. Let, fun. Let's I know, I know, not I know. shame people but for doing. I'm not that. shaming I mean, people for doing. It. I'm just saying that like there he is. He made a, he made a film that he I guess he had some sincerity <laughs> to, and the sincerity is what lends it to lends it's, it's, lends it. Of course, because uh, that's what makes it not boring. Because he it's like hilarity. A, yeah. Because this was honestly made, and it's such a blast. I don't want to say it's a poorly made film, but there are so many aspects of it that are that not much thought was put into. Yeah, and, and other stuff that was put way too much thought into. Yes, like, where, exactly. Where do we get that flashlight from? <laughs> so, so, so much. E I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm not, I'm not trying to shame people here. I'm just trying to say that behind this film, there was a real person whose life didn't end up. But like, look, I look at Tommy Wiseau, and I see this but, is a guy that like, but lucked in. Yes. He did make something that we're talking about now. Exactly. That's more than most people can say. And I'd argue that's more than... To in 10 years, I don't think pe most people are going to be talking about The Room anymore. Maybe. Maybe they might still be talking about mm -hmm. The Room. But um, then maybe Tommy Wiseau will go through this similar... He can't get anything off the ground. I mean, he's... He just did two movies that apparently are really good. Oh, well, Best Friends. Shut my mouth, though. No, I mean, sorry, Dad sorry. Around Poe died poor and destitute. Exactly. We read him today. I know. This is true. Yeah, he died in a gutter, a literal gutter. Mm -hmm. He died in in Baltimore. Um, I'm I'm actually glad I didn't include the most sad thing about Edward's death in, in my little. Now you're going to. No, I'm not going to. Okay, you'll tell us after the uh, podcast. Yeah, I don't. I don't uh, want. You'll I don't have to want, research it yourself. I don't audience. want the listeners to slit their wrists. I do. So I, I want to recommend. But, but I, here, I think yes. I think the the good point that I was trying to end it on is mm -hmm. we're watching his stuff. We're talking about the man's stuff. Yeah, I know. Ninety nine percent of the people who who live and die on this planet are forgotten not, almost yes. immediately. Um, and Ed Wood made his mark. Mm -hmm. Uh, even though he didn't get to see it happen, he's he's talked about fondly a, a movie, a major motion picture that was nominated for Oscars. Yes, was made about his life. Mm -hmm. That's not going to happen for no ninety nine point nine percent of the people. No, no, no. I, so I, that, agree, that I agree. That is something. I know. I, I I applaud you, kid, for trying to end this on a positive note. I really do. Have to. Yeah. So that being said, I want to recommend <laughs> I want to recommend the the book A Nightmare of Ecstasy, which was the oral history of Ed Wood, um, which also morbidly includes his death certificate. Um, I want to recommend Falling Saucers Over Hollywood. That's the documentary on Plan 9 from Outer Space. Um, and just recommend Plan 9 from Outer Space itself. Outer Space and, if you haven't seen and it, sit, Ed down, sit down with some friends. It's not a film you watch on your mm -hmm. own. You need, uh, as, Jez Seinfeld, as Jerry Seinfeld remarks in... Um, What's the point of watching Plan 9 from Outer Space? Oh, like I can make sarcastic comments to myself? Yeah. Yeah, like you, you need people there in the room. Yeah, but, exactly. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a triumph of sorts. Mm-hmm. I was trying to end the episode on a down note so I could... No! Okay. I refuse to let All you right. do that. Right. <laughs> this is a positive podcast. <laughs> now you guys are saying it's a positive podcast. <laughs> I've been arguing that for 49 episodes. Okay, well, so even, I, even if we don't like the films, I, I like to think it's... It's positive. <laughs> death of Death by Video. <laughs> All right. So for Death by Video... I've still been Phil. I have still been Kit, miraculously. And I am always Graham, saying please be sure to rewind... We'll see you next time. Keep watching amazing movies. Get better, Lil. We miss you. Yeah, we'll see you soon. Bye.
Let's go.